0: I've been playing outdoors since I was a kid, standing by the front door at around two years old, hollering, side, side, trying to get my mom to let me go play outside. Now, after 30 plus years working in the outdoor business, I'm dropping insider conversations every week with brand leaders, guides, marketers, CEOs, and others that make the outdoor business a trillion dollar juggernaut that drives product innovation, revenue, and public policy for everything outdoors. I'm Rick Says, Welcome to the Outdoor Biz Podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode four hundred four.
1: Today is so many more meetings, I think people are tired. We hear WebEx or uh, Skype or Zoom fatigue. Uh, people are tired of the screen the meeting?
0: Presenting to a group can be scary. The fear of public speaking is one of the biggest fears people have. However. Imagine having to speak to a group and getting them to work with each other, collaborating to achieve a collective goal. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and I believe that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. That's why I created the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. Each week, I invite an author to come in and chat about their latest book and their unique insights on things like personal and professional development, leadership, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, and much more. Today's topic is connected to the area of public speaking. In a moment, we'll sit down with Paul Maltby. He's author of The Fearless Facilitator, a proven plan for leading successful meetings, dynamic workshops, and effective training events. I'm going to be asking Paul to share about why mental resilience is key to becoming a fearless facilitator, ways to create a safe and welcoming environment for your attendees, his special process for dealing with questions to make sure they don't derail your event, and plenty more. This book has been especially useful to me in that I've been doing a lot more workshops and training events since my book came out in August. If you're seeking personal and professional development training for your team, I encourage you to reach out to me, Jeff, at readtoleadpodcast.com. I've already had the chance to get in front of folks at LinkedIn and Disney and would welcome the opportunity to speak to your team. Again, Jeff, at readtoleadpodcast.com to start the conversation. Paul Maltby is the professional development leader for IBM Consulting, covering Europe, Middle East, and Africa. In his role, he and his team develop IBM's talent at all levels, ranging from associates to senior executives. Paul specializes in leadership development and is also part of the John Maxwell team. He's a conference speaker, facilitator, coach, and, of course, author. His new book is called The Fearless Facilitator, a proven plan for leading successful meetings, dynamic workshops, and effective training events. I'm excited to have him. Paul, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast.
1: Jeff, I'm so excited to be here. I, I can't describe it. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, that's awesome. You know, in all my years doing this and the 20 plus years I've been what I consider to be an avid reader, I'm actually surprised I've never come across a book on this topic. Uh, did, as you were writing it, did you find that there were few written on this topic?
1: Yeah. Do you know there, if you look around, there are lots and lots of books on presentation skills, and there's a lot of focus on public speaking and, and being able to present um facilitation not so much so mm-hmm. yeah there, there are a few out there what i what's drawn to me was facilitation really wraps the the whole thing up not just pre- being able to present mm-hmm. but also to be able to field questions but also to really to get the uh, the audience or your your group involved so uh, uh i was excited this needs to be written <laughs> and uh, so yeah I uh, I was I was thrilled to uh, to be able to, to 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 get it out there.
0: I I couldn't agree more. I've read my share of public speaking books, probably 25 or more, but then with the release of uh, especially with my book 3 or 4 months ago, I'm finding myself in a place where I need to be really good at what your book teaches me to be really good at because <laughs> I'm doing yeah more and more of those kinds of things all the time. So selfishly for me, it's come along at, <laughs> a, at a perfect time. Great. Well, uh, talk about your time as a management consultant and and how you chose to address what was then a fear of public speaking.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I spent the first, I mean, just to give you some context, I spent the first 10 years of my career in industry. Mm. Um, I trained to be a chartered accountant, and, uh, and an analyst. So I dealt with a lot of numbers. So very rarely did I have to present. And if I did, it was almost on a one-to-one basis. So standing up in front of a group to present mm-hmm. or to facilitate a workshop, I never had to do. So 10 years, uh, the first 10 years, didn't have to do it. But then I joined a consultancy firm. And it's one of the big consultancies at the time down in London, so I moved from the, sort of the provinces here in the, the Midlands of the UK down to London to work for a big, big uh, consultancy. So as an accountant, it, it couldn't get any better than that. <laughs> but I had a real shock when they then started to ask me to present to clients to run client workshops. Uh, and as an introvert, that doesn't come naturally to me. Mm. so that i felt you know the nerves they were very disabilitating i couldn't really function you know mm. some people are telling you you've got to do a workshop next week you know the whole weekend would just be written off because i was so scared of what mm. might go wrong and how would they look at me like that and is that my, my career over so um uh, so i it was a pivotal moment in my career and you know, what do i do do i stick with this I've worked so hard, or I just go back to industry, and the tail between my legs, thinking (laughs) I failed, Um, and I didn't want to do that. I'd worked so hard Mm. to get to where I was, you know, years of study, lots of uh, sacrifice. I've got to face this because if I move to another job, what's to say I'm going to have the same problem? So, um, so I decided to sort it out. And you know, whether you call it divine intervention or, or not, within uh, that moment, I, I had an email uh, and it was asking for volunteers to be uh, uh, for internal training. Mm. And I thought, oh, OK, that might be a, a safer way of practicing this skill of being in front of folks and presenting as well as facilitating because it's an internal more junior audience. Mm. Uh, and therefore less risky. They're not fee-paying clients or expecting <laughs> perfection. Um, so I so I did that. I, I volunteered to be an internal trainer and the more I did it, the better I got. I knew I'd made it when one of my mentors uh, and I, we delivered a course in Sweden. I'll never forget it. And um, he wanted me to be the lead. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, you got this. And I was like, well, I'm not really. He said, no, no, you got it. And um, I got the feedback uh, from the students uh, a few days later, and I actually scored higher than my mentor <laughs> and i thought right i 've made it i 've done it i can I can do this That's so awesome. uh, so yeah it was it was a real pivotal moment uh, where I had to face my fears and the realization that if i didn 't face them now, then what to say that they 'll just mm. pop up in the next uh, the next job.
0: You reminded me of a, of a somewhat similar experience I had several years ago. I got my first chance to teach at the college level, something that I'd always wanted to do. Right, you know, classroom about twenty students, and I remember uh, about a month or so after that first semester ended. And the dean sending me the feedback and just being pleasantly surprised at how overwhelmingly positive it was. And I was like, I can, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can do it. this. I can do this. I can do this. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, when you when you put together uh, an event like this, training like this, a purpose is you know high on the list. So, you know, why are we here? What are some of the questions we need to ask of ourselves, and then maybe even two of clients to help determine you know what is this for? Yeah, there's, there's a few questions, and I think
1: they They're even more important now because of the way we're working you know, we've mm. been working virtually uh now since well, the early twenty 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 uh, I just said to my my, my wife, you know, this is the first time since nineteen ninety six i'm showing my age here that I actually haven't traveled all year for work
0: mm. Wow.
1: 1996. Since then, every year I've travelled for work at some point, mm. and uh, so yeah, this is phenomenal, uh, and and therefore you know today uh, there's been so many there's so many more meetings, and I think people are tired. You know the the hear WebEx or or uh, Skype or Zoom fatigue. There's yes. uh, people are tired of the screen the meeting. So first question: there's three questions I typically. Ask. First of all, is the event necessary? Mm. There are lots of other tools out there now virtually that can help avoid meetings. And meetings are expensive. Now, they, they consume time. They bring people away from what they're supposed to be doing you know, to be more mm-hmm. productive. So, you know, collaboration tools like Mural, where well, you don't all have to be in the room mm. at the same time. You can actually keep adding and building on, on what other people have already contributed on, on the mural. Uh, Trello is another, I know, all the tool, all other tools are available, by the way, folks. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, Trello is another tool that we, we sometimes use, which is tracking progress on tasks mm. to do in progress done so you know rather than having a progress meeting you just look at a trello board for instance group slack you can have uh, instant messaging on slack and, and you can have group slack where if you want to just ask a quick polling question you know what when, when's the best time to have a meeting this week pardon the irony there <laughs> um or, or it's just a very quick question just to gauge opinions mm. you can do that on a group slack chat so you know is an event necessary or is it just a lazy excuse just to tie a whole bunch of people up for, for, for an hour? Second question, is everyone aligned on the purpose and outcome? You mentioned purpose, mm-hmm. um, but is everyone starting from the same position? Right. Um, you know, when you're having a meeting, you know what are you there to achieve? There's no point brainstorming for options for a solution if some folks in the room are not really clear on the root cause of the problem, because they'll go, "Well, hang on a minute, how do we know the solution's going to solve the problem? Because we don't know what's causing the problem." Uh, and, and again, and also sometimes people may be closer to the, the the subject matter than others. So you might have a two-speed meeting, which therefore is not very effective. So, uh, so is everyone aligned? on the purpose and the outcome. Mm. What are we here to you know? Why are we here? And what are we here to achieve? Mm. And then you know, linked to that, how do we know we're done? How do we know we've got there? What's the agreement? Mm. Yeah, so who's what's the action? Are we agreed on the actions? Are we agreed on? Who's going to do those actions and by when? So is the event necessary? Is everyone aligned on purpose and outcome? And then the final one is, who do you need at the meeting? And <laughs> does everyone attending have a role and you know do they understand how they're going to add value? You know, in the book, I talk about, you know, there's one leader particularly uh, I used to know who who's if their technical expert wasn't in the room, it's not worth having the meeting mm. because the leader wasn't technical. So he would always ask his technical like, expert, you know, what do you think? If he got a thumbs up, it was a go. If he got a thumbs down, it was a no-go. Mm. If the expert wasn't available, you'd reschedule the meeting. And it's the same with the influence. So sometimes you know you look at the uh the, the stakeholder map or a hierarchy map. And you go, okay, we're definitely those, those, those. But hang on a minute. There may be some influencers mm. who the people in the positions who've got the title and the badge, they may need the influencers. You may need them in the room to really get things moving. So are experts missing? Are influencers missing? Oh, there are there too many people in the room with too many opinions? And therefore, you just go round and round in circles. Mm. So key thing there, you know, who do you need at the meeting? Now, does everyone have a role? And do you understand what value they're going to add by being in the room? And, and don't be scared of, of, of stakeholder management and sending a note to those who are not invited saying, fear of missing out. You're not invited, <laughs> but we are going to give you. It happens, is not it? If people, yeah. oh, what are they talking about? But you know, if you proactively manage those who are not invited, they either a, they'll be grateful because they can do something else. But B, they'll know that they'll be informed, uh, consulted on, on what, Actions or decisions have been made. Mm.
0: And one interesting thing you bring up, and I'd be curious as to your thoughts on this why do you say uh, mental resilience is key to becoming a fearless facilitator?
1: Yeah, do you know? Um, it's, it's a big one, isn't it? This one. Yeah. Now, How you think controls how you behave. Now, the mm. mind, if you think about it, is a powerful thing. It's amazing what we can get our bodies to do now, just by thinking, you know, whether, we, <laughs> whether we come out in a cold sweat. Uh, you know, the heart rate, goosebumps, our ability to sleep is all driven by what's going on in in, in our in our heads. Uh, and, you know, there's a lovely quote in the, in, in the book that I've got. You know, from Henry Ford says, you know, if you believe you can or you can't, you're right, and and that, and that goes a long way, doesn't it? So the three things uh, that I do around mental resilience are focus, mindset, uh, and belief. Uh, and the first, and, and focus. Let's start with focus. That was a huge breakthrough for me mm. because I used to spend a lot of time worrying about nightmare scenarios. What, was, what am I going to do if this happens? What am I going to do if that happens? What if they don't like me? What if I forget what I'm going to say? And I used to get in such a state, but I realized the focus was on me and I shifted the focus to mm. what does my group need? What is the audience that I'm going to serve need and how can I serve them? And as soon as I started to think more about what my audience or what my group needs or what my team needs, it was a lot easier. So shift the focus away from me and you know how am I going to look to more around my, my group and my team and what do they need? So focus was the first one. Mindset is the other one. You know, we, we, I'm sure everyone's familiar with Carol Dweck's work on growth mindset. Um, but also John Maxwell's book, uh, which I love, is sometimes you, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. And when you're presenting or facilitating, if you, if you mess up most of the time, the group don't know. <laughs> you don't. Know, you know, but right. the group doesn't know. You know, if you've missed a key message or if you're actually five minutes ahead or five minutes behind, so long as you're not too transparent, they don't know. So I realized that you know, if I went wrong and no one really knows then I would learn from that and take it forward. And that's extra experience, extra learning for me. So, so mindset was a great, a great thing as well. And then finally, belief. Um, and a very short story. Uh, many years ago, I, pre- I did a presentation. It's in the book. And um, last minute, it was a client. So basically a client-to-client client presentation. So I wasn't supposed to be involved at all, but I helped my client write the presentation. And the very last minute, the client didn't show up and said, Paul, yeah, I had a note, Paul, you're on. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'd done no rehearsal because it wasn't supposed to be me, but I I'd, I'd, I'd knew, I'd knew some of the presentations. Um, but then uh, he, he gave me a copy of the presentation, and some of the slides had changed, mm. and I hadn't written the slides, and I looked at them <laughs> and thought, don't, you know, ones with diagrams rather than words, and I was like I'm not really sure what this diagram's trying to do.
0: no speaker notes
1: <laughs> no speaker notes, no nothing. so you know what I should have done, Jeff, was gone, you know not my slides I'm going to move on. I just mm. cover the ones I covered I didn't mm. I, I bluffed. Now, I'm a consultant. Occasionally, we, we, uh, we, uh, yeah. we wing it. Let's be polite on the show. We wing it. Mm. And um, it showed. My eye, my eye contact dropped. My voice wobbled. Uh, I stuttered a little bit more. There's a few more ums in there and you knows in there. Mm. And that's where the difficult questions came in. And the whole thing fell down like a house of cards. Mm. So the other mental resilience is you know, having belief in you, having belief that you can cope, having belief in your messages. So that was the three things, the focus mm. on your audience, uh, growth mindset, belief that you can you can do this. And if you don't, then you're going to learn. Uh, and then and then belief. The thing is, ultimately, the mindset, you want to be able to step forward to be fearless rather than step back and be fearful. And that's, mm. in the essence, what the book's all about.
0: What are some examples of things that, that we can do as facilitators to help create a safe and welcoming environment for attendees so they can they can you know do their best work at the event.
1: Yeah, you know it's, this is a tricky one because uh, of the virtual world so I'll try and cover a little bit of both. I'll start with a story on uh, the face to face but I'll then move to uh, how that translates to virtual world because I know a lot of us are working virtually now, but initially, you know one of the stories I had was um it was, it wasn't me by the way, it was one of my one of my colleagues. he went up to a, a client site where one of our teams was based. Uh, he got there early. He set up the room, put some posters on the wall. He had some music playing, uh, some sticky notes on the tables with some paper pens, flip charts that had got stuff on them. And um, the, the the partner, the leader, came in and went, "Wow, this is going to be some amazing training." And, and you know, and 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 my colleague went, "How do you know? <laughs> you haven't seen it yet." He said, "Yeah, but look at the room." <laughs> this looks amazing. Mm. You know, I, I feel that we're in safe hands here mm. because you know, the way that you're taking care of the room shows that you're, you're taking care of the training and, and, and mm. therefore you value us because you've gone to all this trouble.
0: That's cool.
1: Now, how does that translate to virtual? Um, one of the things we do is that the, the, the room almost becomes a mur- the mural. We use a, 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 lots of murals. Mm. Uh, and that's sort of pre-populated, not totally. But there's a lot of color in there. There's some pictures in there, some, some drag and drop pictures and photos. Um, we have a gallery so that we invite people to come in and, and write against their picture. And what, you know, what are they interested in? You know, something personal. That's not too personal, but it's not about work. Um, so people come in and they, they, there are things to look at, things to see and things that they can do. Um, and we always get in early. We don't start on the hour with business. And transactions, we start with relations, mm. and just to try and land with people to make them feel safe, feel comfortable. You're in the right place. We're here for you, not the other way around. You know, and we're here to serve you. Uh, and I'm interested in how to do that. So, uh, so that's that's one that's one thing around that. The other thing is um, just to get everyone involved. As mm. soon as you can get people involved. They, the more they feel that they've got uh, a part in it, that mm. they, they, they should be therefore willing to take part and wanting to contribute. And, and coupled with that is so that one thing that we, we often do is we ask them a very simple question, like what are your hopes and fears of, of the event? Um, assuming it's a, a larger workshop and, um, it's a simple question, but we said, just reflect on it individually and then we're going to pair you up. So in, in, in virtual, we can create very simple breakout rooms. So they think about it individually. They then pair up and voice and vocalize their, their opinions mm-hmm. and te- to test it out, make sure it, it doesn't sound ridiculous. And then we bring everybody back and we say, so what did you come up with? And then people feel free to speak up. Mm. So nobody feels like they're on the spot. But everybody feels that they have the opportunity to contribute. Right. And that's something that is really important. You do it early because that sets the tone.
0: Well, related to that, I'd be curious to have you describe some of the ways uh, you talk about in the book of working the room to not only engage with attendees yourself, but to get them to engage with each other and and then maintain that throughout the entirety of the event.
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things. So um, the main thing in, in two words is common ground, hmm. How quickly can you find common ground between people, ideally beyond work? And uh, there's a lovely exercise that we do, two ways that we do that. Very often, we just say, so, you know, what's your passion? What's been your highlight this year? And Hmm. both of those questions can go either way, work or personal. So interesting questions there, you know, what's your passion? What's been your highlight this year? Some people, they don't feel safe enough to disclose personal stuff. We'll talk about work stuff. But ideally, it's something that they're passionate about or it's a highlight. So it's positive. Others may go personal and you'll find all sorts of stuff out. So talk about something that is positive. And then once you've learned stuff about them, you can then repeat with others and then try and connect the dots. We do this sometimes quite formally in, in an activity where we put them in trios. Mm-hmm. And we say, okay, find out something that you've got in common with uh, at least one other person. So person A to person B might have something in common. Person B and person C might have something in common, for instance. Uh, and then we say, find something that you all got in common. Mm. And then present that back to the wider group. And, and therefore, yes, the trios have some sort of common ground, but then by presenting it back to the other trios in the wider group different people might find out different things in other so rather than relying on just their three group they can they can start to have connections and there was a lovely example a couple of years ago where um we had this and there were two two ladies in a group of 20 people and uh, different groups different trios both had discovered that they were going to Machu Picchu in Peru, at the same time, <laughs> but on different expeditions, they were, and they were they were so excited, they were they were almost giddy, <laughs> um, and they were just they were just oh my god, we're going to we're going to see each other in Peru. When are you going? When and, and when are you going to get to this? When are you get, to... they were so they were so excited, but they had a legitimate excuse, and that's a key word there, legitimate excuse to go and talk to somebody else beyond their group that they didn't know before the course. Mm to really get to know each other. And, uh, and that happens all the time, not just with personal stuff, but also
0: with work stuff. That's cool. I remember reading that story in the book. It gave me chills when I read that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, what does, what does an expert facilitator need to understand about context in order yeah. to, to meet the needs of, of the attendees they're addressing?
1: Yeah, you know, context is key. And I'm quite bouncing, quite bubbly. Um, when I'm when I'm facilitating. But you don't want to be bouncing into the room, you know, full of energy and enthusiasm when the organization has just announced layoffs. Mm. You know, and you go, Yay, we're here for a training course or yeah, we're here to workshop to work out the transformation of the organization. They'll go, yeah, most of us are out of a job, Paul. Mm. Woohoo, you know. So, you know, you've got to judge the appropriate behavior and you can't do that unless you understand context. So Mm. what's going on in the organization and maybe even the industry, industry generally, Mm. you know, if you're certainly in the UK at the moment and you're in the hospitality industry and lockdown is looming because of the new variant of of COVID, there may be some pretty sad people in there because they're struggling to understand the the future. So what's going on in the industry as well? Mm. Uh, What's happened before the event? Have there been previous meetings that took place on the topic that you've been brought in to 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 help Mm. with that failed? Very often, people try and do things themselves and get stuck, and like you know, we need an independent facilitator here to really get this going. So, you know, what happened before? Did they have they tried this before and it failed? Are there challenging relationships in the room which have got completely polar opposite opinions? So, how are you going to deal with those? Uh, And added to that, are there some really tricky, controversial, or sensitive topics that you know, if mentioned, will just ignite the room? That and 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 it's very difficult to then bring it back because you've just lit the uh, the fuse, and uh, the the whole group has exploded into uh, anger or annoyance or irritation. So, um, I think so. Just understanding where the group is. And, and what's going on really then helps you, A, understand and appreciate and maybe empathize with the group, but also that might inform the design, how you're going to approach this particular scenario. So, you know, if you've got a lot of people who don't get on mm. and you stick them in the same breakout room, that could be a bit of a problem, <laughs> for for instance. So mm. I think context is is helpful, and I think you know, the more attention you pay to context, the better prepared you are in how you design the event up, but also then how you facilitate it as well.
0: Hmm. Well, we've covered uh, much of part one of the book through the questions that I've asked so far. Uh, Part one is called The Iceberg And we've gotten into chapters like purpose and resilience and environment, engagement. There's also venue, needs, team. Part two is what I want to get into now. You have a special process for dealing with questions to make sure that they don't, as they often do, derail your event. Can you unpack a bit of that process? Yeah, sure. I
1: mean, first of all, facilitator, you know, celebrate this fact, Jeff. As a facilitator, you shouldn't really have to answer any questions. (laughs) You know, presenters get a tough, tough time because they're the expert. Yeah. Therefore, they, they should be getting these questions. As mm. a facilitator, you should relax and bask in the knowledge that you should not have to answer any tough questions. (laughs) So, again, for those people who are feeling a bit nervous, that might be a game changer for them. Mm. Thinking, okay, so um, you want to make the group more resourceful Mm. on answering their questions. And the whole of section two, as you say, is devoted to that. And there are several techniques, and they spell shield. And it's basically it's a, from a friend of mine called Justin Douglas. I'm going to give him credit there because he always provides a physical shield. I'm not kidding you, a physical shield to defend against difficult questions. Mm. So the first thing is is specify when you get a difficult question or any question for that matter. Uh, specify sometimes questions are vague. So how do you handle poor performance, Paul? What do they mean by poor performance? Are we talking the company? Are we talking the department? Are we talking uh, an individual's performance? Profitability? What are we talking about? I have no hmm. idea. So, so get the question, questioner to be more specific. That buys you a bit of time at least. Um, and, and even going beyond that, if you're still not sure, ask for an example. Mm. That will really start to bring the the context of the question into focus. Mm. Uh, So once you've got that and everybody's now clear on the question, great. Hand it back to the questioner. If they care enough to ask the question in the first place, you'd like to think they have an opinion on it. Mm. So pass it back. Give them the first opportunity to uh, ask the question. Now, the added bonus to this, Jeff, the added bonus, if people know that when they ask a question, is going to come back to them, no one will dare ask a difficult question. <laughs> it's the truth. And yeah. if they do, they know what's coming. Um, very often people ask these questions very early on, and they, they soon learn that, okay, I'm going to get the question back. Okay. <laughs> um, so hand the question back to the questioner. We should have done that. Involve others. Mm. So, you know, Tom has said this. What does everybody else think? Because Tom might be in Ireland on, on a crusade and everyone else thinking, oh, here we go. Tom's off on his crusade again. And everyone, everyone else might say, yeah, we don't care, Paul, move on. Okay, that's, that's good data. Mm. Uh, or they might go, yeah, we agree with Tom. This is really important. Okay, that's really helpful. Let's explore. Um, and that then links into the next one, which is evolve the question. Mm. very often um, you might get a, a topic or a question that comes up and all of a sudden the whole group gets super excited mm. uh, and then just evolve the question. And I won't, I won't go into the details here by the book, but um <laughs> There's a structured way of then running that discussion mm. um, through, you know, uh, framing the discussion. What's what, what, what's worth the scope? Uh, getting down to the the learning, and it's a, there's a structured way of doing that. So, but evolve the question into a discussion so that everyone feels heard, everyone feels they've contributed, but ultimately at the end of that discussion, there's an outcome,
0: mm.
1: which is you know, the, the, the 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 mnemonic is talks. So the S in talks is summarize. What's the learning? What's the so what? My favorite question in consulting is always, so what? You've given me this, so what? Um, So we've talked about specify, hand back, involve others, evolve the question into a discussion. Um, And then the L is look, uh, look at a different perspective. So if the group's stuck for an answer, maybe the question is asked, and a great, a great example. Um, many years ago, as a project manager, uh, when I kicked off a project, I used to say to the the client, "So, I'm interested in what do you think we could do to make this project a success?" And the clients were like, "Well, you're the expensive consultant; you tell me." <laughs> you go, "Okay, it's not quite the input I was looking for, but we'll go with it." So, I, I used to look at it of a different perspective and go, "Okay, what could we do to really screw this project up?" <laughs> And they've got all kinds of answers for that, don't they? I couldn't shut them up, Jeff. I just <laughs> couldn't shut them up. Everyone had got an opinion because they'd all been burnt on some of the previous project. Mm. So we we found out all the things we could do to screw the project up, and we then just reversed it. So if we didn't do all of that, would that be helpful? And they went, "Yeah, brilliant!" And they were all on board. So, uh, mm. but also, you know, if you're if you're stuck in the current problem, what's the ideal suit, ideal vision f- of the future? Mm. Paint me a picture and they paint you and then you work backwards. So if people are stuck, you know, look at it a different way. But if that's all too difficult, maybe the right people are not in the room. Maybe the question's above the pay grade of the people in the room, maybe the experts are not in the room, or maybe the information's not available at that time. Leave it. Park it. Maybe there are only, only two or three people in the room that are really passionate about it. The other, the other 90% don't care. All right, leave it till the end. Let's see if those three people who really care. Are still there <laughs> if they're not then don't worry about it and mm. um, so so that's that's look or leave and then finally distract uh, if a question doesn't seem relevant or important to the group or or it's getting bogged down maybe suggest a break anyone fancy a break oh yeah let's have a break <laughs> Distract them with a break, mm. distract them with something new, something different, move on, just move a slide on or give them pop another question and text chat or something. Or oh, something else we do in, in the social contract with one of my favorites um, is use Elmo. Enough. Let's move on. And if you put that into the social contract, anyone can shout Elmo. Mm. So if somebody's get if we're really getting bogged down and you go, do you know? Does it feel like an Elmo moment to you? Yes, it does feel like an Elmo moment. Let's move on. Okay, Mm. great. So uh, enough, let's move on. So that's the D, distract. So shield, specify, hand back, involve others, evolve the question into a discussion, look look at it a different way or leave it till later, uh, and then distract. Excellent. If you've got all of those, Jeff, you are bulletproof in defending yourself against any tough questions.
0: I love it. I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you, Paul, uh, not directly related to your book. But before I do that, I always want to ask if there's anything else that I've not covered that you want to make sure you have a chance to talk about.
1: Um, we alluded to it earlier, I think, Jeff. Um, you know, as I say, you know, presenting and public speaking can be scary enough. Mm-hmm. But the audience is largely passive until it comes to Q&A. Right. Uh, and then you're the expert. So you likely get away with whatever answer you give them um facilitation you're still in front of folks and you've got a huge responsibility for driving a group of very busy very talented professionals through a process to achieve an outcome you're not quite sure how they're going to work together so you know getting the group to work together building the relationship building the engagement managing the time uh, avoiding those derailments there's a lot going on and and a lot of leaders tend to overlook this skill and i think as a as a as a leader this huge value in being able to lead your people through a process where people feel safe, uh, they feel heard, they feel valued, uh, and they're actively engaged. Uh, I think a leader is a uh, almost a catalyst of transformation from you know, getting a group from A to B, from problem to solution, from options to a decision. So I think uh, if you're a leader uh, and you've not really paid attention, as you said earlier, lots of books and presentation skills, mm-hmm not so many on facilitation. I think mm. the huge value in today's society in a world of experts to be an expert on process, not just content.
0: Mm. Well, over the course of your career, uh, Paul, I'd be curious to know what some of the more impactful books uh, you've read have been. Anything that stand out as, as, as something you recommend to a lot of other people?
1: Yeah, uh, for me, um, the life-changing moment for me was a book by Stephen Guise on mini habits, I think you've talked about atomic habits and micro habits, but the book I mm. read was Mini Habits by Stephen Guise. Mm. And it's not, it's not a big, big book, but uh, so it doesn't take too long to read. I've been buying books for, for, for years, and a lot of the time they were on the shelf. And I used to say, you know, this time of year, my New Year's resolution is I'm going to read a book a month mm. starting tomorrow. <laughs> and tomorrow never came. Mm. Um, but I read Mini Habits and they say, you know, make it two pages a day. And it's in your book. I've read it in your book. You know, I, I saw it and I thought, great, Jeff, Jeff's got this one. Brilliant. <laughs> and so, you yeah, know, you don't have to buy Stephen's book. You just buy Jeff's book. Um, it's in there as well. But it's the same thing. Just read two pages a day. But if you then found time to read two pages, you might end up reading four, six, ten, twenty pages And that's very often what happened to me. Uh, I just found a time where I could consistently read uh, two pages. But the book I usually pick were books I bought before that I am interested in. Mm. So I ended up reading more than a book a month in the end because I broke it down into bite-sized chunks.
0: Dr. B.J. Fogg talks about a similar concept in his book, Tiny Habits. Tiny Habits, that's right, yeah. He adds the element of... Of celebration, so after yeah. you've you've accomplished your tiny goal, make sure that you you acknowledge having done so with some sort of celebration to kind of train the brain over time that this is something that we like. We want to do this again, kind of a thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. My my friend uh, Perry Holly, another author, put me onto this this book, mm-hmm. and um, you know he, the way he described it was: uh, you know, if you read two pages a day, that's your goal. Beyond that. Bonus pages. <laughs> that's right, bonus pages. You know, you've exceeded the goal. How good does that feel? So, uh, so you know, uh, respect to Perry for, for mm. that one. Um, the other, the other one I I, I regularly go back to um, is the outward mindset by the Arbinger Institute. Mm. So that's uh, so the the institute themselves. There, there's not a, a triple author to that, but the outward mindset is is how we see others. We mm. see them as people, but you see them as objects. And as a leader you'd be amazed at the power of seeing a person as a, as a, as a person rather than an object. Uh, and very often uh, we, as leaders, deceive ourselves in, in the way that we behave because of how we see others. It's a phenomenal read if you, if you haven't, haven't checked it out. Um, so, so I, I regularly rec- recommend that because mindset affects behavior. How I see you will affect how I behave towards you. How I behave towards you will shape the quality of our relationship the quality of our relationship will shape how we work together and how we perform in the business. And so people go, oh, mindset's all very soft. No, mm, yeah, but it's hard to do some of these soft stuff. And if you go right back to mindset, you can't change behavior unless you change the mindset. Mm. So I, I really recommend the, uh, the Outward Mindset by Arbinger. And then the final one, I'm a John Maxwell fan, so uh, I couldn't not include a John Maxwell book. <laughs> um, you know, Everyone communicates, few connect. And as a facilitator, my role is to connect with the people I facilitate, but more importantly, to help my group connect with each other. Mm. Uh, And so all the stuff he he covers in that book uh, is hugely valuable if you're a facilitator.
0: Well, I know you, you were talking about habits a moment ago. I know you're familiar with with my work on dream dance with discomfort, ritualize reading, examine your energy, assemble your advisors, master your mornings. These five personal habits that I believe uh, supercharge your life. Uh, we don't have time to talk about all of them, but I'm I'm wondering which of those five would you say is your favorite and that you look forward to practicing the most?
1: Favorite? Wow. Um, yeah, I think we'll start with the first one, you know, dance with discomfort. Mm. Um, you now, I'm used to presenting to uh, people or working with people uh, in a small group. I sometimes do big groups, but putting myself on a podcast with, with Jeff Brown, having seen <laughs> who you've had before, you know, the, yeah, he's like, oh my God, you know, am I worthy? Um, but again, you know, I have to go past the, the me and focusing mm. on me and go about, well, well you know, who could I help by coming onto this podcast? You know, how many other people could I reach? And have I said something today that would resonate with someone else and going, oh, brilliant. That's really going to help me. Mm. So, um, dance with discomfort. And, um, I think that's, uh, that's my favorite one because it really forces you to think about, well, what could I do? to grow because growth and, and comfort, you know, isn't, isn't connected. You know, you mm. have, you have to get out of your comfort zone to grow. And, uh, and, and if I'm not growing, I'm not learning, then, um, you know, I'm not happy because that's, that's
0: the who I am. I love to, love to learn. Well, Paul's book again is called the fearless facilitator, a proven plan for leading successful meetings, dynamic workshops and effective training events. If uh, anything like that's in your future, I highly recommend this book. I think it's the perfect field guide for anyone wanting to get better at that skill. Paul, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show and, and helping us understand what you do so much better. Jeff, yeah, it's my,
1: been my pleasure. Uh, thank you for having me and thanks for the opportunity.
0: You know, I really can't recommend this book highly enough, especially if you're looking to lead more successful meetings, dynamic workshops, and effective training events, as the subtitle of the book says. It's helped me tremendously. I think it can help you too. I'll put a link to the book in the show notes page for today's episode, along with those other books and resources that Paul mentioned. You can find everything at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 404 for episode 404. I'm now offering my own dynamic Workshops and effective training events centered around personal and professional development, reading habits, reading retention, comprehension, and more. And I'd love to address your team. If I can help, reach out at Jeff at read to leadpodcast.com. That's Jeff at read to Lead Finally, I want to say a special happy birthday to my wife, who turned forty something, we'll say, uh, yesterday on the 3rd of January. Happy birthday. Annie. We also got some snow on the ground where we live. She absolutely loves snow, so I don't think there could have been a better birthday present than to wake up with that on the ground. Love you, honey. Next week's episode just coincidentally happens to fall on my birthday, and we'll welcome Elizabeth Knox to the conversation. She's written a book called Work Reimagined that I think you're really going to like. That's next time on the Read to Lead podcast. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty,
1: you stop thinking about what you can't do